I'm I don't think I've ever made a 180 day reservation. Um, I, I what are you doing hosting a Disney podcast? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Resort Hoppers podcast. I'm B, And I'm Jay. Together, we're siblings who love planning Walt Disney World vacations. Today, we'll be going over a step-by-step planning guide for your next Disney trip. Today in part two, we're covering transportation to Walt Disney World, activities on property, and of course, food. Once you've chosen your hotel category or even your specific hotel, then you want to book it as soon as you've decided on your dates and your party size and your hotel so that you can get the room that you want. Some of the rooms are limited quantity, so especially if you're looking for like a three-bedroom villa at a DVC, some resorts like French Quarter are very small and tend to book up very quickly. So book it. As soon as you can, Disney has a very generous cancellation policy for Mm -hmm. room-only reservations. So if your plans change, you can always make an adjustment. They also tend to release discounts relatively close to the stay itself. So book what you want as soon as you know, and then as time progresses, you may end up getting a discount on that same room. Or if you say you book a value at full price, you may see that discounts come up for a moderate resort and you can upgrade to a moderate for about the same price since it's discounted. For bookings directly with Disney, you only need to put down a one night deposit. For a room only reservation. In general, I think we tend to stray away from package bookings, but Disney does have that as well. The cancellation policy isn't as generous and you do, do you have to pay the whole thing up front? You pay... I believe $200 up front, and then the balance is due either 30 or 45 days before your stay. I don't remember. The deposit and cancellation policies aren't as generous with them, but if you're looking to get everything done in one fell swoop, that might be a good option for you. In general, we like to mix mix and match as we're planning our trips and, and buy our tickets separately, but that's an option if you just want to get it all done very quickly through the website or by calling Disney or, or a travel agent. You might also consider a split stay, which is when you stay at two or more different hotels over the course of your vacation. Now, if you're going for a short trip, don't do a split stay because what's the <laughs> point? You're you're going to be wasting a lot of your precious time uh, just moving between hotels. But I'd say if you're doing at least maybe six or seven nights, you might consider this. Um, you might start out at a value resort and then upgrade to a moderate or deluxe for the rest of your trip. Or if you know that you want to spend a lot of time in both Magic Kingdom and Epcot, you might stay at a Magic Kingdom area resort for the first part of your trip and then Epcot for the second part of your trip. Or, you know, whatever whatever you want your vacation to be, you can adjust and you can book your split stay to suit your own needs. One of the cool things about doing a split stay is that each resort, uh, each Disney resort has its own dedicated employee who will run luggage between your resort and wherever you're staying. So you can either go to Bell Services or you can call Bell Services and have them pick them up from your room. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be waiting for you in your new room at the uh, to begin the second part of your split stay. 
Now this might take several hours, so if you desperately need something for, you know, if you're going to the pool, if you have a nice dining reservation later in the day and you need to change, keep that stuff with you. But if you're not in a rush to get your luggage, then you just drop it off or have it picked up and it will get to your new room. So once you've decided where you're staying and you've booked it, then you need to be considering how you'll be getting there. Of course, the two primary ways to get to Disney property are going to be flying and driving. Um, I'm sure there's some edge cases with trains and, I don't know, crazy people walking, but you're going to need to decide how to get there. If you're a local, if you live in Florida, most of Florida, you're going to be driving. I would say maybe even as far as Atlanta, it'll probably make sense to drive by my own like personal driving tolerance, but it'll just depend. Um, obviously, if you're pretty far away, I would recommend flying and not taking a giant road trip with your family and screaming children. That said, if you have a large family, it might be just way too expensive to fly. If you're two people, then flying might be about the same cost as driving. But if you're four or five or more people, then driving might save you a lot of money. Yep. I mean, I, I know a family of five back when we lived in Florida that, that would come through and they would they would drive halfway across the country. Um, and that made sense for them, both because they're crazy people who don't understand that flying is much safer than driving and because it's cheaper. Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that go into this. And of course, with flying, you have to limit your luggage and you have to be very particular about what you pack in your carry on. Whereas with driving, you can bring whatever. I mean, I know people that bring their own coffee maker to <laughs> Disney because they don't like Disney coffee. Guilty. Disney coffee makers. So, you know, it's it's really up to you and your needs. I personally hate driving and I live in New Jersey. So that would be a very long drive for me. And I don't even have a car. So I'd have to rent a car if I wanted to drive down. So it would be more expensive and take much longer to drive. Yep. The general rule of thumb for booking flights is that you want to book about 52 days out. That's when you're going to get the best price. You may want to book further out, especially if you're trying to get, you know, the 60-day fast pass reservations. We'll talk about a little bit in a moment. You also want to think about your departure and arrival time if you're choosing to fly. I like to get on the first flight, you know, at 6 or 7 a.m. to Orlando so that I can land as soon as possible and get my vacation started. That said, there have been some times when it made more sense for me to take a late flight so that I could work during the day and then arrive and just get there in time to go to bed and then wake up the next day on property. You also want to consider if you want to do parks on your travel days or if you're just going to relax, maybe go to Disney Springs. Personally, I don't recommend planning too much on your arrival day because mm -hmm. there's all kinds of factors that can cause a delay, either the plane itself or your transportation to and from the airport and what have you. So just have to consider those things. Sometimes you may find that you've booked your room, you know, however long in advance, and then you go to book a flight and it's actually cheaper for you to stay an extra day, either at the end of your trip or to leave a day earlier at the beginning of your trip. Um, and it's cheaper to move your flight by one day and add an extra day onto your hotel stay. My last trip, I drove in with a rental car and I stayed at the Swalfin. They'll actually take your rental car from you if you're, I think it's Alamo and maybe one other rental car company. So that's another just minor thing to consider if you're, if you need a rental car for some reason. Should you choose to fly into 
Orlando, you will need to consider how you're getting from the airport to your hotel. Mm-hmm. If you're staying on Disney property on one of the official Disney resorts, then you have the option of Disney's Magical Express, which is a complimentary motor coach transportation, and it is included with your stay for as many people as you have registered in that room. They will pick you up from Orlando International Airport. You may have a couple of stops at different hotels on the way to your hotel, but it's usually a pretty quick and efficient option. You can also choose to rent a car for your stay, but you will be paying parking fees at your resort. At least as far as rental cars go, I would tend to shy away from it. Maybe if you want to have a private car and you want to drive yourself to Disney from the airport and then check it in at the Dolphin or one of the on-site options, um, that might be an option. But unless you're leaving Disney property, I would say it's probably not worth the money to get a rental car. Yeah, because Disney does provide transportation between each resort and the parks. And even when that transportation is slower, you know, you might have to wait a little longer to get the bus. You don't have to worry about parking and you don't waste that time on the back end. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I don't like driving, so I don't want to <laughs> drive on vacation. Um, if you like driving and you want to drive yourself everywhere, then that might be the choice for you. You can also take a cab or or a Lyft, or Uber, or a prearranged car service. Just look into the cost for this. It will generally be a little faster than Disney's Magical Express because you're going directly from the airport to your hotel. So if time is money, then maybe it's worth it to you. I've only used Lyft when I was staying at the Dolphin or Swan because they don't include Disney's Magical Express. But any time that I've stayed in a Disney hotel, I've always used Magical Express and been very happy with it. So now that you've decided whether you're driving or flying and how exactly you're going to get to Disney property, you need to figure out what kind of tickets you need. You can buy directly through Disney. That's the easiest way. Buy them advance in advance online. I mean, there's, there's no reason to buy tickets at the gate. Yep, that's just it is- adding a line to wait in. It's, yeah, it's so easy to just buy them in advance online. And when you're making FastPass reservations, you need to have a ticket already purchased. So don't, don't wait till the day of, don't, I don't, does anybody do that anymore? Don't do it. I don't know. Probably. You can buy your tickets directly from Disney, either as part of a package, if you choose to book a a resort and ticket package, or you can buy them a la carte from Disney. You can buy them from a third party, such as Undercover Tourist, Mm -hmm. um, and you'll typically save a little bit of money there. Um, If you buy from someone like Undercover Tourist, you can link your tickets to your account immediately by getting an e-ticket voucher. So. It's it's just like a Disney ticket. It is a Disney ticket. Um, and you'll be able to do all of the things that you need to do with that ticket. I'm not familiar with anybody besides Undercover Tourist. I did buy my ticket from them last time. In general, the more days you have on your ticket, the more you'll be saving through them. I have no problems with Undercover Tourist. Just be careful. Any other dealers, um, don't trust the sketchy people at the gas station. There used to be a lot of fraud with physical tickets at gas stations and then you'd be out 40 bucks on your on your disney ticket buy them online don't buy them in person at all honestly undercover tourist is is reputable disney obviously you can buy disney tickets through them if you're military or you have access to some other discount then you that may be a different situation for you and it may make more sense to 
to purchase through the military, and then you may have to redeem in person. Otherwise, do it in advance. Then you want to consider if you want to buy an annual pass. For <laughs> most people who don't live in Florida or maybe Georgia, this doesn't make sense. No. But if you maybe live far away, but you have family in Florida, or you know for sure you're going to take two decent length trips per year, then it might make sense. Um, as with everything, do the math. Yeah. Does it really make sense for me to get an AP when I could just buy a la carte tickets or package tickets? Um, and the thing about having an AP is it's way too tempting to go for a third trip and a fourth trip and a fifth trip. And then you're not saving any money because you're just spending more. So it might make sense. It might not. Yeah, I, w I would say don't get it unless you know for sure you're going to take another trip within a year. It's going to incentivize you and say, well, I spent all this money. I need to use it um, when really um, that's flawed thinking, at least in terms of economics. Yeah, I mean, if it's your first trip, definitely don't get an AP. Wait till you've been there. Now, if for some reason it is your first trip and you say, you know what? I can come back in six months. I loved this trip. And for some reason, it makes sense for you to upgrade to an AP. You can do that at a discount, applying the cost of your ticket. If you do that before your trip with an undercover tourist ticket, you deduct the cost you paid. Whereas if you've already started using the ticket, you deduct the cost of the ticket at full price. So you can save a few bucks on an AP that way. It's a little weird how that works. So basically, don't upgrade your third-party ticket until you've already been into a park at least once. Yes. And then as long as you have days remaining on your ticket, you can upgrade to an AP. So if you're at the end of a long trip or you figure out that those discounts are worth it for you, then you might consider upgrading to an AP. In general, I mean, if you're the kind of person that needs this sort of guide, I'd say probably don't get an AP. But if you're just using this guide as kind of a, a way to brush up or to enjoy our lovely personalities, then maybe an AP is worth it for you. If you enjoy our personalities, you should definitely get an AP. <laughs> so once you've decided on your tickets, you will need to start thinking about food. Or maybe you've been thinking about food the whole time and that's your entire motivation for going on the trip. I don't know. You may want to consider the Disney dining plan which is a plan, we've talked about it before, um, but you get a certain number of meal credits per person per night of your stay. Um, and those are quick service meals, table service meals, and snacks. And it depends on which plan you get, how many credits of each type you get. For some people, it can save a little bit of money. For most people, it won't because you're thinking, oh, I've paid for the dining plan. I have to get the most expensive thing on the menu. Whereas if you weren't on the plan, you would get what you want, which may not be, you know, a steak every single night for dinner. You can only get the dining plan if you have a package with tickets or if you're a DVC member. Some people like the dining plan because everything is prepaid and so you're not worrying about each individual meal cost throughout your trip. Um, it's another thing where you should just do the math look at the menus of the restaurants that you want to eat at and add it up. Yep. See if it's really going to be a savings for you. And if it is, fabulous. I usually don't reserve too many meals in advance. I like to have a few tentpole meals that I'm using to 
guide the big points of the trip, but I do like to have some spontaneity, especially if I'm looking at a quick service option. You may want to have every meal reserved and every little detail planned out. I would recommend maybe, you know, just check around, look and see if there's a quick service. You know, maybe you want to go to Cosmic Rays every meal. Maybe you want to go to Pecos Bills three times like me. So I would generally say leave a little room for um, spontaneity. Since you can make advanced dining reservations up to 180 days in advance, for the most part, you will want to have your park days planned out, as in what park or parks you're going to each day before you're making those dining reservations. Most people are going to want to start at the Magic Kingdom. Depending on your park ticket, that may or may not be a good idea. I would say if you want to make Magic Kingdom your first park and you only have one day there, don't do it on a travel day. Magic Kingdom has the most stuff to do, and for most people, that's going to be the park where they want to spend the most time. Yeah, you really want to spend a full day or more at the Magic Kingdom. Now, if you have a park hopper or, or if you're going to spend multiple days there, that's a good idea. Then you might want to do that on a travel day. But in general, I would say pick a different park, maybe Animal Kingdom or Hollywood Studios, um, where you're less excited about at the about the offerings there for your first day. When I'm trying to decide which parks to go to on which days, I usually start by looking up the park hours, including extra magic hours, which is a perk for Disney hotel guests, where you get either an extra hour or extra two hours in the park, either in the morning or in the evening after the park has closed. So I love spreadsheets and I love planning. <laughs> so I will I make a color-coded spreadsheet for every trip, no matter how long or how short. And I include what, which, which parks are open early, which parks are open late, which parks have extra magic hours, um, any parties like the Halloween party or Christmas party that cause a park to close early. And I, I start there and I say, well, Epcot has extra magic hours this night, so I'm definitely going there this day and I'm going to stay in the park for two extra hours. Also, don't feel obligated to use extra magic hours. I only used them once on my last trip and it was almost a mistake. I did an Epcot tour in the morning starting at 8 a.m. and then they had closing extra magic hours. And so even though I did take some time at the hotel to rest, I did go and watch the American Adventure after park closed during extra magic hours, and I was I was dead at the end of the day. So almost a mistake. I'm still happy I did it. I got some funnel cake um, after the park had closed, so it was fine. But um, just don't feel obligated. Yeah, I mean, some people actually recommend avoiding extra magic hour parks because the the thinking is that if somebody has a one park per day ticket and not a park hopper, then they're going to that extra magic hours park only for the whole day so it might be more crowded and if you're not a morning person do not try to get up early every single day just to go to extra magic hours in the morning don't do it if you're not a night person do not stay out late every single night at the park just because it has extra magic hours you will not have a good time you will be cranky and tired and miserable some good resources to take advantage of are crowd calendars there are many third parties that will gauge approximately how crowded the parks are going to be on any given day um and usually they'll break it down by park um so if there's a an event um like food and wine time that means especially on the weekends epcot is going to be more crowded 
If there's an extra magic hours on that day, that means that park is probably going to be a little bit more crowded. There are multiple third-party resources. Some of them paid, most of them aren't, or at least you can get a free version. So just check that out. You know, Maybe you can switch around a couple of days to take advantage of lighter crowds. So as we mentioned, you can make dining reservations on property 180 days away. If you're staying in a Disney resort, then you can make up to 10 days of dining reservations past that 180 day mark. So if you have a 10 night stay <laughs> and what 10 night stay hashtag reservation hacks. Oh yes. So if you have a 10 night resort stay and your day comes up and it's 180 days before your check-in day, you can actually make reservations up to 190 days in advance So most people recommend that you start at the end of your trip, especially if you have hard to get reservations. Like if you want to go to, I don't know, is Be Our Guest still that popular and hard to get? Maybe the more popular restaurants like Ohana might be harder to get. So there are, there are all kinds of guides on the order in which to make your reservations and all that. So I don't want to go too much into that because other people have said it already better than I can, but you You want to make some reservations at 180 days out. There are some that you will not be able to get um, as a walk-up and that you will not be able to get um, once you're closer to your trip. So once you've done your research and know what you want, go ahead and plan uh, to be on your computer at 6 a.m. or calling at 7 a.m. Eastern time to make those reservations. Also keep checking. People will cancel their reservations. So if there's something not available at a particular time, just, just keep looking. Try again. Yep, I've I've never made a 180-day reservation. I I like to have a little bit more spontaneity, as I mentioned in my trips. So um, I, I still will make advanced reservations, but there there will be good options day of most of the time, maybe except during the busiest times of the year. You'll still be able to get a sit-down reservation in a few places you might even be able to walk up. So don't think that if, you, if you're trying to plan a, a vacation five months out and you've already missed your 180-day window that you have no options and you shouldn't go. That's it. If you have... You know, your little princess or your little prince really wants to meet Cinderella and the princesses at Cinderella's royal table. Um, You're going to have a hard time getting that reservation after that 180 day mark. It can be done. I've done it. I mean, not that particular restaurant, but I've definitely gotten harder to get reservations closer to my trip. But if there's if there's something that you and your family absolutely must do and you know, there's no substitute, then you want to get it. You want to get it as soon as you can. There is another small uh, hashtag reservation hack that you can do. Acker, how do you say Akershus? I, I mean, I, I don't know how I always really ask how to said. say it. Um, Akershus in Epcot, you can get a breakfast reservation um, at 8 a.m. So if the park doesn't open till nine, you can get in and then you're right by Frozen Ever After and you can be the Well, like the 20th one in line because everyone else is doing the same thing at the restaurant. Um, So there are a few options for getting into the park a little early and maybe you can beat the lines on that e-ticket attraction. Yeah, and um, Magic Kingdom has restaurants that open before park opening. I think every every park does. So look into it. Um, Again, if you're not a big morning person... I wouldn't do it just to get in early, but if you are, then it might be a good option for you. 
And especially if you're looking for a breakfast in the park, you know, maybe a 9 or 10 a.m. breakfast is a little late in the day for you. Um, If you want to get three meals in for some reason, um, you know, get your 8 a.m. breakfast, get your 12 to 1 lunch, get your dinner at dinner time. A couple other minor things that we'll talk about. Special events. So there are paid after hours events where they're separately ticketed. We spoke about that last time where you get up to six hours in a park on its own ticket. So especially for a travel day, that might be a good option. They also have early morning magic, which is essentially paid extra magic hours. There are fireworks cruises. There are parties that you can go to. There are all sorts of things that you might want to use to pad out your planning. For a lot of these, you cannot necessarily book them 180 days in advance, like you can book most dining reservations. Um, It drives me nuts when I want to do like a dessert party and you book it like you book a dining reservation. It is a dining reservation, but Disney doesn't release them until maybe two or three or four months in advance. So I'm like waiting to, to make that reservation and trying to plan my trip around it. But it is what it is. Another fun option. I know we've both done some tours. My last trip, I did the Destinations Discovered Epcot World Showcase Tour, which was um, great. It included a meal. It was a little under $100. I had a discount through the Disney Visa. I think it's a little over $100 without that discount. It's a five-hour walking tour. Um, It is good if you don't like children, because I think you have to be 16 to do a lot of the tours. So, you know, maybe if you hate children, it's a good idea to do that. And it's a fantastic tour. I met some interesting people, had lunch, learned a whole lot about each of the each of the countries represented in World Showcase. Um, I know you've done a couple tours as well. I've done the Behind the Seeds tour at Epcot, which might be the cheapest tour that you can get. This was a few years ago, but I think I paid less than $20 per person. And I did have an annual pass at the time, which gave me a slight discount. Uh, but as far as I know, it's still the cheapest tour. I think so. Um, and it's it's pretty short, but you go behind the seeds ha, 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 Whoa. in the land pavilion. Um, you get to learn about the Disney greenhouses. And if you've ever ridden Living with the Land in Epcot and you've seen a cast member with a group of people inside the greenhouse, that's probably what it was. So you've seen this tour happening. There are also the Halloween and Christmas parties available. So depending on what time of year you're going, you may be able to book one of these. The Halloween party starts in August now, which, you know, it feels weird to be celebrating fall and Halloween in August, but whatever. Uh, And the Christmas party starts basically as soon as the Halloween party is done. These are hard ticket events in the Magic Kingdom. So you don't need a day ticket to get in, but you can get in three hours, I believe, before the park closes. And then after that Halloween or Christmas party has begun, the cast members have a great way of getting everybody that's not a Christmas or Halloween party guest out of the park. So for a few hours, you get to enjoy the park and special themed holiday offerings um, with just the your fellow party guests. And, and Disney is always adding new tours and special events and dessert parties and dining packages. So this is, this is constantly changing. And if it's during the Food and Wine Festival or Flower and Garden Festival, there will be even more offerings at Epcot for an upcharge. So you don't need to do any of this stuff, but depending on your plans and depending on, you know, who's in your party and 
where you're staying, you might you might find some value in some of these options. Most definitely. And of course, there are there are tons of other activities, mostly at the resorts. Um, there's mini golf. There are VR experiences at Disney Springs. There are a bunch of activities. You can rent a boat. There's regular golf, too. You can rent multiple different kinds of boats. So there are a bunch of opportunities to do cool stuff. But but definitely look around on the website and see what other kind of uh, activities might interest you. Everything from the parks with millions of people doing them a year to small tours and boat rentals and sorts of things that are going to have pretty low capacities and, and lower interest. But you might be the one person that that event is for. So check it out. Let's say that you are near the end of your trip. You've planned it all. You've enjoyed your vacation and you just can't wait to go back. Well, Disney has something for you, and it's called the Bounce Back Offer. Tell me more. This means, (laughs) I will, this means that while you are staying at an official Disney resort, this means that during your Disney resort stay, you can call a certain number and you can book your next Disney resort stay at a pretty good discount while you're still on your current vacation. Often the Bounce Back Offer is better than the general discounts or the AP discounts or the Florida resident discounts because Disney wants you to come back and they want you to keep coming back and keep spending your money and keep eating at their restaurants and keep staying at their resorts. Yes, they do require a $200 refundable deposit when you book and there are some restrictions on which resorts offer that. And on the dates, of course. I've never actually booked one because it just hasn't worked out for me, but Lots of people do it and enjoy getting that discount. All right, B, I think that should wrap things up today. Hopefully you, dear listener, have gotten something out of it, whether you're new to Disney booking or you're an old pro. We hope you enjoyed listening and maybe learned something. For more, you can find us on Instagram at The Resort Hoppers, Twitter at The Resort Hop, and Tumblr. The Resort Hoppers. You can also visit theresorthoppers.com. If you have a Disney question or a suggestion for a show topic, you can contact us via social media or email us, theresorthoppers at gmail.com. TTF Finn, ta-ta for now.